Hello there, this is Sean, and welcome to Looking Over Life, a podcast where James and I talk about Peruvian protests, schedule changes, and late night bus trips across the Andes. But I guess that didn't make it into the actual episode. That's what James and I spent probably uh, more time than we needed to talking about before the show. James, I thought about asking you how you're doing, but maybe I should ask you something more intriguing, like how many irons do you have in the fire? (laughs) Well, I guess it depends on what qualifies as an iron. (laughs) I mean, I would say the podcast is definitely an iron. And then, of course, my work at Christian Light is an iron. And at Christian Light, I have multiple projects, which each would qualify as irons in and of themselves. And (laughs) yeah, and that's in a sense, just kind of the tip of the iceberg, I guess. Yeah, it's a lot easier just to say fine, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. And that would be a whole, possibly a whole discussion about some of the things, yeah, some of the cultural niceties that we have that we don't really think about. Mm, Yeah. We don't, yeah, I mean, nobody really, most of the time you don't actually want to hear how somebody is. (laughs) You're just saying, hi, I'm acknowledging that you're a person and I'm talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. That's right. And that's pretty much Mm. it. But I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing because, yeah, way back in our episode about, well, actually, I think that was an episode that didn't make it into, yeah, it, our pilot episode that the pilot light got blown out on. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's right. That one didn't actually get in there. Um, The reason it didn't is because it was kind of bad, but, (laughs) but we were. (laughs) We did talk a little bit about differences in culture, which I guess we got into a little bit in the episode with Andrew about missionaries, mm-hmm. about being a missionary. Mm-hmm. There's some things that we look at a little bit strangely at other cultures, and there's but there's some kind of strange things we do as well, and it's just part of the culture. <laughs> this is true. Does it mean it's wrong? I mean, some people would say if you ask how somebody's doing and you don't actually want to know what they're doing, are you deceiving them? Are you... Yeah. 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 I don't know that I would quite go that extreme, but when you think about it, it is a little strange. <laughs> well, there we go. Another another episode idea, I guess. <laughs> well, next up is everyone's favorite segment, which I like to call James Tells Sean Something I Have No Way of Confirming. So what's up <laughs> this time, James? <laughs> that sounds uh, fairly sketchy. <laughs> like I'm just, <laughs> just making these things up as I go. Uh, and that's not the case, although... I mean, yeah, I could probably do some more fact checking and so forth, but <laughs> anyway, we'll, I mean, we'll leave it to our audience to do the do the uh, fact checking for us. Yeah, you, you have to stop somewhere. What is the closest planet to Earth? Do you know what the closest planet to Earth is? Well, you told me you might ask this question before, and I asked ahead of time if it was the moon, and you didn't like that answer. <laughs> um I know it can't be Pluto because they kicked Pluto out from being a planet altogether. Mm-hmm. So it has to be it has to be the one on either side in the lineup, right? So Venus or uh or Mercury is no. Please tell me you know the order of the planets. <laughs> yeah, I do. It's my very energetic mother just served us nine because we don't have pies anymore. Mhm. <laughs> So it's um, Mars is the closest to the sun, and then it's Venus. You mean Mercury's Earth. closest to the sun? 
tell me which which it is which is closest to the earth yeah well if if somebody would have asked me that i would probably have said venus mm-hmm. if you look at at a, a diagram of the the orbits of the, in the solar system venus appears to be closest to the earth although mars comes in a pretty close second however it's one of those questions that is not always quite as simple as you think it is mm-hmm. because can I can I guess why? Sure. Is it does it have to do with the orbits not being circular but elliptical? Mm, elliptical? Is no, that the word? No, no. It's not. Okay. I mean, you're not too far off, I would say, but Okay. No, it's not elliptical orbits. It's the fact that they're in orbits. They're always moving around. And that means that the distance between planets is constantly changing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so so if you just look at the orbits and you just use a ruler or whatever fancy measuring stick you have and mm-hmm. measure between the different orbits, well, then Venus is closest. But that's just the orbit of Venus. That's not Venus itself. So Venus is constantly, the, the distance is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. When you ask a question like that, that at first glance seems very simple, Sometimes, if you think about it, you have to come back and say, well, what do you mean by the closest planet to Earth? Do you mean mm-hmm. the one that gets the closest, like the absolute closest approach? Right. Or the one that has the average, so they're constantly changing in distance, which one is the one that on average is closest to the Earth? Yeah. So that kind of gets you, it kind of narrows it down a little bit more. Yes, if you say the one that is closest approach... I do believe it is Venus. I would have to check that. <laughs> but I do believe it is Venus. But then if you say, what is the one with the average closest to the Earth? It's not Venus. It's actually Mercury. <laughs> Mercury. Which doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have either. But once you start running the numbers, it turns out that Venus is the closest planet to every other planet on average. Uh. It turns out that Mercury is the closest planet to every other planet, not just to Earth. So Mercury is the closest planet on average to Venus and to Earth and to Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. How does that work? And probably even Pluto because Mercury is down there close to the sun. It's moving around really fast. Mm-hmm. It, it it orbits the sun once every 88 days, I believe. Oh, and if you look at, if you follow the orbits of Venus and Mars, for instance, there Venus is moving a little bit faster, Mars is moving a little bit slower, and they kind of chase each other around the sun, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so, just the way it works out, they spend a lot of the time on the other side of the sun, in a sense, if you, if you kind of work it all out. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mercury is down there really close, going around really fast. Yeah, so Mercury ends up being the closest to every other planet. Yeah, kind of with freak, because of its frequency. Hmm. That's right. Yeah. So if Mercury is on average more closer, yeah, closer than the other planets, why are people not wanting to to fly to Mercury? Why are they going to Mars? Well, because Mercury is a sun-blasted hellscape on the front side and a freezing icebox on the back side. <laughs> okay. I knew it had to be something. Yeah. Whereas whereas Mars, it's really cold. I mean, it gets down to 
negative 40 or 50 or 60 degrees Celsius at certain times of the year. Mm. But during Martian summer, when Mars is closest to the sun, so Mars has a fairly elliptical orbit. Um, it moves closer and further away from the sun in parts of its orbit. If you're on the, I think it's the northern hemisphere during the summer, when it's closest to the sun, it's a balmy, like, you know, 10 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that. Oh, I see. Now, the issue is the lack of pressure. That would kill you before the temperature would. Oh, right. But if you had, but if you had a basic pressure suit, you wouldn't really have any issues with either freezing to death or frying to death. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Mercury has no atmosphere whatsoever. Mars has a little bit of an atmosphere, which they have been flying a helicopter on Mars the last number of months. <laughs> it's a very baby-sized helicopter. Yes, it's very small, but it has really big rotors, and they spin really, really, really fast, so mm -hmm. it's able to actually fly a little bit. Mercury has no atmosphere, just like the moon. In a sense, Mercury and the moon look very similar. If you would look at a picture of one and the other, mm -hmm. unless you know what they look like, you might have a hard time telling the difference. Yeah, well, that's probably the same of people who haven't met my children. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, Mercury is much closer to the sun, so that makes it even hotter than than the moon. And then Venus is very similar in size to Earth. In fact, it's often oftentimes called Earth's twin because it's so close in size and the orbits are fairly similar. But Venus is even hotter than Mercury and has clouds of sulfuric acid. And if you're on the surface, there's so much atmospheric pressure that it's like going a couple thousand feet under the ocean or something like that. Mm. <laughs> the The Russians, actually it was the Soviets, sent a number of space probes there in the 70s, and I think maybe some in the 80s. And the longest any of them lived was about 60 to 90 minutes, and then they just couldn't function anymore. Huh, just got crushed. Well, they got crushed, and their, uh, their electronics just melted, mm. basically. Mm -hmm. Because if you if you send a computer to... All these space probes have computers to run all their different sensors and cameras and so forth. If you heat up computers too much, eventually it'll get to where they just won't work anymore. They'll, yeah. They won't necessarily melt, but they just won't work. And so there's people that are doing research seeing how we can make computers that can work at much higher temperatures so we can send something to Venus and have it last at least a couple hours rather than a couple minutes. Yeah. Wow. Now I'd like to thank everyone who took a moment to share the podcast. The last episode we released did did well, better than we'd seen recently. So welcome to our new listeners. We're glad to have you. And I suppose when episodes come out and when I'm looking at the data are not the same times. And so at some number of weeks, uh, maybe more than a month in the future when this episode comes out, it would be nice if these words were still true. So maybe we'll have even even more new listeners by then. <laughs> Hopefully. I did a bit of looking at the data like I was talking about, and it shows that people tend to quit listening to the episode when I say, well, that should wrap it up for this time. <laughs> I don't know 
<laughs> if it's just the way I say <laughs> that phrase that turns people off, or maybe they're just like, okay, we've gotten the episode, now we can go. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why people haven't been hearing our pleas for feedback about specific stuff, James. So do you have anything you need to tell people right now? Because this is the segment where everyone's listening. <laughs> Well, I don't have too much to say other than, yeah, we welcome feedback and also ideas. We've gotten a few ideas from from some of our patrons, and we've gotten some ideas for topics from others of you as well. And later on in this episode, we will discuss a question that a listener had about our tithing episode, which I'm looking forward to talking about. Mm-hmm. While I have everyone's attention, I want to tell everyone thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the podcast. You can do that really easily by sending people to lookingoverlife.com where all the past episodes are kept, or you can share a link from your favorite podcast player. Also, thank you to our patrons for supporting the podcast. We're thankful to have your help in getting this podcast out there. And thanks, like James said, for your ideas and feedback. We pay special attention to our patrons. And they get our super secret additional content just for them as a thank you for their support this time. Uh, We're going to be adding a bit more to that by including our pre-show banter. So if you want to hear about my crazy evening ahead or (laughs) some other stuff, we might be cutting out of the longer episode and dropping into their segment. Go take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash looking over life. Sean, you were just talking about how you have a, a rather crazy evening coming up going going into Cusco and and I read your blog on a regular basis and probably some of our listeners do as well and and I'm oftentimes astonished at all the things that you have going. <laughs> it seems like there's whether it's goat's hooves that need to be clipped or Bible studies or going to Cusco it seems like you go there about 10 times a week. <laughs> <laughs> it can feel that way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking to to my wife, and she mentioned, it seems like whenever Sean goes to Cusco, we have to postpone recording the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit of a, a look behind the curtain there. Um, yeah. It's not always uh, that easy to schedule the podcast in our, in our schedules yep. in between all the things we have going. And yeah, there's some times that I really wonder if, if I have too many things going and way back in episode one, we talked about yearly themes Mm -hmm. and my theme was concentrate, try to concentrate on the most important things. And I feel like I have done fairly well at that, but as the years went on, it feels like there are these things that come along that, you know, this, this is a great idea this would be fun or this is something that is, is a really good work. I feel is worthwhile. Yeah. And I say, yeah, sure. I'll do that. It was a number of months back. I think it might've been even before our first episode, but you asked me if I'd be willing to write an article for, uh, for something that you edit. Mm-hmm. And I said, sure, I'll do it. Well, thankfully it didn't take too long to write it, which yeah. meant you probably had lots of editing to do, <laughs> but uh-huh. But there are other things that that I say yes to that end up taking way more time and causing stress. So do you have any thoughts? I mean, do you feel like you have too much going? How do you keep track of what all is happening in your life? I feel like for for me, projects projects tend to 
fill up the amount of time that I have available. And so I tend to say yes to things and not, I don't say a lot of, of no's. And that's probably, that's probably the root problem for, for being busy. Mm-hmm. But if I have too many things, uh, I suppose it's hard to tell. Maybe one of the metrics would be, is something most important suffering, you know, your family life or mm-hmm. your, your, your spiritual life or, or, um, uh, relationships with friends or whatnot. I think, I think I, mm, I would say maybe a more than a year ago, a year and a half ago, I was feeling a sense of overwhelm, uh, burnout or tending toward burnout, mm-hmm. or I'm not sure what the words might be. And at that point I would say I definitely had too many responsibilities and part of what was contributing to my, my feeling my not good feeling was that I felt like I wasn't doing the best job in the things that I was responsible for. And so I did work at, at cutting out some stuff, getting rid of some responsibilities, being able to give some of them away to people was difficult because I was the only guy here where we are in Peru. Um, but I did manage to offload some of my remote work or my contract work. Mm-hmm. But well, as you were talking, okay, you said I have a blog that I share and so it makes it look like I'm busy there. Maybe I intentionally write it that way so people feel sympathy for me. But <laughs> um, I haven't written in the last four or five days because I've been too busy. <laughs> uh, so maybe I dump a lot into one uh, one update that makes it look like I'm busier, but I do hear from you uh, occasionally and you sound plenty busy. <laughs> Maybe if you would write a blog, we would know how busy you are, but what, <laughs> what is it that makes you, you mentioned saying yes to things, but do you feel like there's been a trajectory? This was a question I had in my mind for myself. If there's been a trajectory of from say my twenties through my mid thirties where I've just been getting increasingly busier because of my age my experience adding roles like you know now i'm a dad now i'm a husband now i'm a whatever Mm -hmm. are some of these just unavoidable yeah i wonder if some of those things are just part of of getting older i was asked to serve on a couple committees for the conference in various capacities and i believe uh i want to uh, to serve the church as I can. If, if they feel like I can be useful, I'd like to be useful. And so I said, yes, mm-hmm. I, I have yet to say no to any, anybody asking if I'm willing to be on the slate for an election, <laughs> but I'm starting to get to the point where I might start thinking about saying I would prefer not to be, not because I don't want to do it. In fact, that's something that I have to struggle with is I do like to have things to do to feel like I'm being useful, mm-hmm. but that sometimes ends up, like you said, turning into being overwhelmed. But back to what you were saying about do we get busier as we age? Yeah, if I would be a 20-year-old, they probably would not have asked me to be on these committees. So I'm guessing some of those things do come as you get older. People see you're responsible. They see what you're doing. 
that you could probably be doing some of these things. But also, just in the last five years, my life has changed substantially in that I went from single to married, and then not too long after that, having a child, and now we have two. So it, it, it's not like this is ancient history. This is just in the last half decade <laughs> right? Right. Um, that things have changed pretty substantially for me. And I definitely look back at the days of yore, and sometimes I look back on them fairly fondly. You had more, you had more time to breathe, or <laughs> it felt that way. Yeah, that's right. But, but I look back at then, and I kind of shake my head because I didn't necessarily feel like I had huge amounts of spare time back then. <laughs> and uh, now I have many more people that are depending on me. Mm-hmm. My wife, my children, different people in the church, at work, I have more responsibilities there. But yet, <laughs> I, I didn't really feel like I had nothing to do back then. So I'm not sure. I guess it, it's kind of like boiling a frog <laughs> where you, you put him in a pot and you slowly amp up the heat. Uh, I'm assuming you're familiar with that yeah, with that yeah, illustration. Yeah, yeah. So, so is it a problem of efficiency then? So, you back in your in in your 20s, you thought you were busy, but it was just that you weren't uh, super efficient with your time, or maybe efficient isn't the right word. And now you have more to do, and so out of necessity, you make it work. So, how much more can we pile on to you before? <laughs> before that quits that quits happening i definitely look back at my 20s and i'm a little ashamed i feel like i definitely wasted time some of it was i wasted time online watching videos or just yeah just things that were not not the most productive you could say mm-hmm. not all bad things but I didn't have as much to do, and so I spent a lot of time riding my bike. We talked about that in the last episode. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't ride my bike anymore, and, I mean, that took, you know, I might ride a, uh, like ride my bike 10 hours a week, possibly. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. Those 10 hours go to something else. And so right. some of that is time has, my usage of time has shifted to things that I see as more important from what it was before. Not that biking is wrong. But it's not that necessary, and so I shifted things around. And I would say that I probably am more efficient, more organized than I was when I was in my 20s. I was looking over some old pictures from 2006, 2007, 2008, and I came across a picture of my room back in the Mm mid-2000s, and I would just be absolutely horrified (laughs) if my room was like that today. I'm much more organized and much more... Oh, okay, yeah. Much more fastidious, I guess, (laughs) maybe is the word to use. Oh, yeah. About just my surroundings. I don't like things to be messy. Back then, it wasn't as big of a deal. Mm -hmm. But things have changed, and I'm not quite sure what caused that change, but I think it's good. (laughs) So, younger you, I don't know if you can think through, through his perception, when he looked at people who are a bit older and as busy as you are now. Do you have any impression of, of what he thought of them? Like there's this, the reason I ask that is there's somewhat of a stereotype. I think that middle-aged men are very busy and, and chasing 
chasing life in whatever capacity or mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And because of that are fairly miserable. <laughs> so did you have that impression or that, that feeling? Maybe you can't quite remember. I can't remember exactly. There's one person in particular that I remember. Yeah, this was probably close to 10 years ago. So I'd have been in my mid twenties. I remember thinking about all the different things they were involved in. They were involved at school. They're involved at church. They were involved in management and their job. And I just was astounded that they were able to do all these things. And <laughs> I guess that's probably the main the main thing. I think part of it is I didn't maybe realize how busy other people were. Oh, yeah. I wasn't really paying attention yeah. is maybe part of it. Yeah, I, I used to think about that a bit when I was younger and wonder why people who were middle-aged or older didn't take more time to enjoy the life that they were living. It seemed like they were so busy with this, um, this committee or that uh, job opportunity or, or whatever the thing might've been that they didn't Mm -hmm. have time to enjoy uh, stopping to smell the flowers or watching their children grow up or making memories with doing fun things i thought people should should uh take it more take it more easy and and let the world go by maybe while they were enjoying life mm-hmm. saying that now how does that strike you is that a hmm are you are you enjoying life you're very busy are you are you in the moment uh yeah i would say it's maybe harder for me to be in the moment it's easy for all of the different things that I have. I mean, I have a very busy next four to five months coming up, six months, mm-hmm. which <laughs> it, it used to be I never thought about that. Uh, I thought about, oh, this next week looks busy. I didn't think about, oh, this next half of a year looks busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's also a very big shift in my thinking. But, yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoy life. There's things that I do. I really enjoy going with the Shonda out for a meal mm-hmm. where we don't have to, we don't have to cook. We don't have to clean up and it, it does cost a little bit of money, but I, that's, that's something I'm willing to spend on you gain to, some, to spend time with her. Yeah. You gain time. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it's, you, you can relax. You don't have to be thinking about clean up afterward. You don't have to be juggling two mm-hmm. children and trying to cook. Mm-hmm. At the same time, which normally that's her, not me. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but but uh, yeah, it just makes it less stressful for her, less stressful for me, and so that's one thing I really enjoy. We try to have kind of a date night of some sort, about one day per month. Okay, to try to to kind of reconnect and and give give us some time to just relax a little bit. And I believe you do something like that. Yeah, uh, we we try to. We try to um, take time for each other at least once a month, but uh, we do see each other in the the uh, twenty nine days in between too. But thinking <laughs> yeah. about your thinking about your busy six months ahead or however long, and also thinking about your monthly date nights, how do you go about organizing your stuff? The the events or tasks, projects, 
what, great or small, how do you how do you mm-hmm. take care of all that when it's so much? Well, I use my calendar a lot. <laughs> okay. um, that's something that five years ago, I don't think I hardly ever used a calendar. I had one on my phone, and I think I maybe used it a little bit, but it really wasn't that much. But now, almost every single day has something on it. Not always, but just about every day has something on it, whether it's something work-related or family-related, or sometimes I'll even put specific tasks or deadlines on my calendar to kind of... uh, So that way, every time I look at it, I can see it coming. And these are... This is a digital calendar, right? Yeah, I just use just Google Calendar. Um, I have Gmail, and so if you have Gmail, you have Google Calendar. It comes with that for free. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I just use that on my phone. One thing that that we started doing a couple years ago, my wife and I, is we have shared calendars. She has her calendar, I have mine, and we share them with each other. So she adds mm-hmm. adds a task to her calendar. It shows up on mine and vice versa. And they're colored differently. So, for instance, she has... Uh, she has been kind of organizing this monthly thing during the summer where she gets together with a bunch of young moms and they just spend time together. The children can play on the playground. And so she puts that in her calendar. Uh, one time a month I get together with some of the brothers in the church for breakfast and that's on the calendar. So that way mm-hmm. it's it's always there. We have it set up that it that it recurs. So it automatically puts it in for the next month and the month after that and so on. Yeah, it, it's one less thing you have to worry about, and I also have it set up that my work calendar also syncs with her calendar, so I have a personal calendar and a work calendar, and just l- last week we set up a podcast calendar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that you and I are sharing. Mm. So now I have another calendar, and so I can look at my monthly view on my phone and can see, okay, this is a work thing because it's this color. This is something Lashonda's doing because it's this color. This is something for the podcast because it's this color and so on. What sort of, uh, do you use anything like that or do you use something completely different? Uh, yeah, well, I want to answer that question, but I first wanted to ask you, um, how often you said you can view it. Do you have some way of it? Does it come up in front of your eyes in your schedule? Do you have that in your calendar when to look at your calendar or how does that happen? (laughs) No, it's like calendars all the way down, <laughs> yeah. calendar events, look at your calendar, and then you have to have calendar events to tell you to look at the calendar events that tell you to look at your calendar. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I don't do that. It's for that. I'll, I mean, I probably look at my calendar just about once or twice a day. Mm-hmm. And I also look at it at the beginning of every week, oftentimes either on Sunday or on Monday mornings, I'll kind of do my weekly planning and I'll look at the calendar and see what's coming up. And that's kind of what it does. Plus, my phone automatically, just on the home screen, it tells me, like, if I'm within an hour or two of, of an event happening, it will be on my home screen. And so I can just see it just by glancing at my phone. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, calendars for me, I when I was still in a 9-to-5 job, as they say, I use calendars a tremendous amount. Uh, everything was calendared. Um, very similar to what you're saying. Uh, I had my business calendars and I had various projects that I was working on, like different departments within mm-hmm. my last job. 
my last jobby job. But when I went back into teaching, I depended less on my calendar because I had narrowed down my scope of responsibility so much. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a bit of a, um, hmm, I was going to say downward spiral, but that sounds too negative. But it was definitely a step away from calendaring because directly after that we went uh, to Peru. And coming to Peru, the first uh, three to six months, I remember I worked pretty hard at trying to get back into a calendar system because I was afraid that not having a not having a day job when I first came was going to tend to make me you know, lazy or irresponsible, uh, uh, undisciplined. And so I tried to, to set these blocks of time for this project or this writing project or this thing I wanted to do, studying Spanish, whatever the thing might have been. And Peru life just was not very conducive to that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it <laughs> uh, definitely kept throwing wrenches, throwing wrenches into the gears. And so... I kind of threw the calendar out the window yeah, more than a year ago, uh, maybe close to two years ago, because it was becoming more of a stress. But now, lately, I've been actually reintroducing it because of, I, I think, where I have my life now, it's a bit more structured. I kind of know where I am here. I have a grasp of the language, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's a little easier to to think about life in a more structured sense for me anyway, maybe I could have done it all along if Mm -hmm. I were someone else, but that's kind of been my recent journey. Yeah. I was talking to somebody one time and I mentioned that I have multiple different calendars and they said, why don't you just put everything on one calendar? Mm -hmm. And I said, are you crazy? (laughs) I was joking a little bit. I mean, if you want to put everything on one calendar, that's fine. Now you said you had multiple calendars, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, what are the different ones that you had? Um, I would have had, uh, I had a, a work segment of calendars, but then I had one, two, three, three or four calendars at work because okay. of the different departments that I worked with. And so I needed to keep mm-hmm. track of things that were coming up in those different departments. Yeah. Um, and then I had my personal calendar. I had a birthday calendar where I put all the, (laughs) it was for nothing else except birthdays from my family and friends. And then, uh, we had a shared calendar, my wife and I, which she used a fair bit at that time, but I don't think she uses calendar much at all now, Mm -hmm. but we would have put in things similar to what you were saying. So we knew out ahead that way I wouldn't forget our, our mince anniversary, our monthly anniversary celebration. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Yeah, I'm just looking here to see how many I have. I currently have a work calendar, just one. I have a personal calendar. I have a shared calendar from LaShonda, and then I have a podcast calendar. So I only have four. (laughs) That's not crazy. Yeah. And the reason I like having multiple calendars is because sometimes I just want to see what's happening with one particular thing. So Mm -hmm. I just want to see what's happening at work. And so I turn off all my other calendars or sometimes I want to see what's happening at work and personally, because that can make a difference on scheduling. Like if, if there's somebody that is, that's uh, spending a couple of weeks at Christian light, getting some training done, which actually happened this last two weeks. And we want to have them up for supper. 
then it's good to know. Then it's really nice to be able to know what's happening at work and what's happening at home. So you can know when to uh, to have him and his family up for supper, things like that. And, and so that's why you want to have multiple calendars and sometimes use them separately, sometimes use them together. Yeah, that's just kind of what I prefer. Do you use anything else besides a calendar? Yes. And you were talking about, you know, how to keep track of projects and that sort of thing. And I use a calendar to keep track of events, which I, I did say sometimes I do deadlines, mm-hmm. um, things that have to be done at a certain time, a very specific time. But I only put the things that, you know, the stakes are pretty big. This has to be done this time. But for the most part, I only use events there. Mm-hmm. In the calendar, but I do have a task manager, which is just a glorified to-do list okay. that I use to keep track of everything I have to do, both at work and personally. Mm-hmm. I don't. I I I depend on paper notebooks for that. I have a couple of notebooks. I have one that I keep for just church stuff, mm-hmm. and then I have one that's kind of miscellaneous uh, farm and other planning stuff. And then I had my uh, my journal personal notebook, I guess, which has been a bit neglected as mm-hmm. of late. But mm-hmm. that's where all my planning sort of detailed projects, even brainstorming sort of stuff goes into. Yeah. Yeah, I think I can almost remember exactly when it was. I think it was back in maybe 2018. Uh, I have to go back and look exactly, but I think it was 2018. I was taking on some more projects at work and was really getting stressed out with, you know, I have this that needs to be done, and then I have this thing and this thing and this thing and this project, and then I have this other project, and you have to have these things done, and it has to be done at this specific time, and this is coming up later that you need to know what to do. And I was really getting stressed out trying to remember everything and was letting things fall through the cracks and was constantly having to kind of keep writing down a list of things that I needed to do because I didn't save it anywhere. Uh, right. Yeah. And that was when, that was when I started actually using uh, a task manager and I, I played around with a couple of different ones. I eventually settled on one called Todoist, T-O-D-O-I-S-T, Todoist. Mm-hmm. Th- there's many others out there. I know Apple has one called Reminders that's built right into your iPhone and I think even most Android phones have something similar to this as well, but there was a number of features that I liked about Todoist, and I've started using it, and I just can't imagine using anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I even started paying for it, which, I mean, you can get the free version, but it costs $36, I think, for a yearly subscription, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much the best $36 I've ever spent because... I feel like I've easily recouped that much money just in save time and stress mm-hmm. of trying to keep track of things. And then I was able to even convince LaShonda to start using it. And she's been a pretty faithful user for the last probably two or three years now. Oh, nice. So do you think that it is the fault of your calendar and to is that you have so many things? In other words, they're making you better at saying yes to things. So if you were a little <laughs> bit... Um, less organized do you think you would have more time in your life um probably not i mean i probably would not have as many things that i'm currently doing because i just couldn't handle anymore but if 
I would be unorganized, I would probably still end up filling up the time just with something else, I'm guessing. Yeah, that makes sense. I do not use, like I said, I don't use a, a to-do application or whatever, but I do put stuff into into OneNote, mm-hmm. which is a Microsoft service, I guess. I'm not even, hmm, I don't know even how to describe it, but probably most people know what OneNote is, but I have a tremendous number of, well, I have at least a dozen, more than a dozen large notebooks, and then within each of those notebooks, I have uh, stuff broken down into categories and whatnot. So we have a notebook shared for the podcast, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a personal one my wife and I share. And it's very, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it's not its not super structured. It's more brain dumpy sort of, <laughs> mm-hmm. sort of approach to keeping track of things. But one thing I like about having it in OneNote is it's easy to search for stuff. If I can't remember where I may have put something because of lack of organization, OneNote has my back because it has a search engine in it. So maybe not the most ideal, but it is one thing I do. Another thing my wife and I have shared Apple notes. We use that for grocery lists or um, even wish lists for things. Prayer list. We have a shared prayer list on there. And then probably my next biggest tool is Telegram, which is a messaging app, but within it, it has an ability to set reminders. So that's where, that's where my reminders for myself tend to go. And I also in the saved messages or messages to me, I drop lots of things that I may need to put into OneNote later or talk to someone about later that goes all into my save mm-hmm. messages section. And then that's kind of my catch all drawer. Yeah. And I go through and clean that up periodically to, to make stuff, I don't know, actionable, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a tendency and, and those that are listening to this that know me well will laugh. Uh, yes, I'm talking to you, William. <laughs> I have a tendency to to chase after new things, new tools. Mm. Uh, Todoist is somewhat of an outlier in that I've been using it pretty consistently for just about four years, I think now. Oh wow! But recently, I switched my my note taking, uh, keeping track of notes and even some writing and things that I do to a new program called Obsidian, which I will not get into. That is, <laughs> uh, that's a serious nerd alert. There, I'm not going to get into that, but. <sighs> Anyway, it uses markdown files for those of you that care about such things. Yeah. You have tried to explain it to me more than once and it has hurt my head every time. Yeah. Well, it's it sounds like you're using OneNote kind of like I use Obsidian in some ways, so Okay. <laughs> it's similar. Yeah, it's similar in a lot of ways. Um but yeah, as far as capturing just random things, I, I probably used to doist for a lot of that. Mm-hmm. LaShonda will you know, she'll be in the kitchen with her hands covered with flour or egg whites or something. And she'll say, hey, could you uh, put this on the shopping list? And so I whip out my phone or the other day I was back in the study and she just yelled back the hall. Hey, can you put uh, cream of tartar on <laughs> mm-hmm. on the, uh, the shopping list? And so I do a quick task and put it into a project in Todoist called Shopping List, which I just looked and it has currently 23 things in it. So it's time to go shopping, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So yeah, like <laughs> pancake mix. Uh, yeah, it looks like the Shonda actually has has it set up, has it set into sections, and underneath each section is like what shop or, or what store she was going to go to 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 pick up that specific thing. So pancake mix at Costco, uh, whiteout at Walmart, <laughs> and different oh, things like okay, that. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I remember what it was. We have our one-year-old has a bit of a, a sore bum right now, mm-hmm. and so she wanted me to put on the shopping list to get more A and D ointment. Okay. So that's what it is. Now we know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have you have ways of catching stuff in the moment like that, and you have mm-hmm. ways of handling your projects, ongoing projects. But do you? How do you go about? planning so you talked about your six months out ahead or longer do Mm -hmm. do you have a set routine for for planning or how how do you deal with with some of some of your long-term organization yeah well i use a couple different different types of planning Um, i do yearly planning which we talked about that in our yearly themes episode Mm -hmm. and that is that's very big picture um, that's mostly larger goals, not specific tasks. But then once I get down to like the quarter or to the month, then I start thinking a bit more about like, what are the big projects that I want to push forward? For instance, coming up here in a couple months, I was asked to speak at some teachers meetings and I have to work on putting that together. So that's been in the back of my mind for a while. And actually what I did is probably four or five months ago when I said that I would do it, I put a task in Todoist the 1st of November saying, think about this and figure out what the topics are going to be and put together your little blurbs for describing what the workshop is going to be about and then send that off to the people that are doing the organizing of the workshops. Right. So every, well, not every day, but fairly often. So I've kind of been pushing it off. I haven't made time to sit down and do that quite yet. I've trying to I've been trying to get some other things done. But I keep seeing that and I'm planning to maybe this Saturday or sometime like that, I'd like to sit down and actually come up with with that sort of thing. Um so that's oftentimes what I do is I will put just a little reminder in Todoist, maybe months in the future mm-hmm. and I just forget about it until that pops up again. And then that reminds me, hey, you need to start thinking about this. And then what I might do is I might go into Todoist and make a whole bunch of tasks related to that specific thing. If you can break it down into smaller chunks, mm-hmm. that's something that helps me is if it's something that's really big, I like to take it and break it into smaller pieces. Right. So it's just more manageable. It doesn't feel quite as overwhelming. So that's that's what I do. I have yearly and then quarterly or monthly like I sat down, I think it was a little bit before October, and thought about what I needed to do in the fall and just wrote down a bunch of things one Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And the reason I did that is because in a previous a previous weekly planning session, I had thought about, well, I need to think about what I need to do in October, and so I should put this on my Todoist uh, task list, and that's what I did. And then that Saturday, I sat down and and just had an index card and wrote down maybe eight things that I wanted to get done uh, in the month of October. And then I checked that off, and then I had my list of, of tasks. 
And sometimes I'll just go ahead and do those. Sometimes I'll put those into Todoist as well. So it's just a constant making sure I don't forget things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just constantly revisiting the things in my Todoist task manager to make sure nothing slips through the cracks. And something that I've started doing the last uh, about two years, yeah, I think it was about two years pretty consistently. Actually, it's almost three years now. I think it was in 2019 when I kind of started doing it at work, and now I do it at, at home as well, is is weekly planning. And I find that extremely helpful to to sit down, usually Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, and just look ahead at the week and say, these are the things I have to get done. These are the things that are happening. These are the things that are most important. It's not listing every single task, but it's listing maybe the top three or four things that I have to get done. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that just in the last couple of weeks, my wife and I have started doing where every Sunday we kind of go over our, our calendars together, talk about what are the big, the big rocks, the big tasks that we both have uh, in the week ahead. And that allows us to kind of work around where we can we can help each other out or I can take care of the children because she has to do a, a photo shoot with with some family that wants their their holiday pictures taken. Yeah. And so I can do that. Yeah. It's, it's just a way to keep in touch and, and plan. Um, so that's something I found very, very helpful is, is weekly planning, both at work and for personal projects and, and tasks. Yeah. I like the way that you're doing that weekly check in. That sounds like. It would be pretty useful for most couples. I have not been super organized about my my planning in the last, like I said, maybe two years. But I do still tend to plan out the year. And I often look at the quarter of the, you know, just thinking about the calendar, what I need to get done in in this quarter coming up. Also, monthly, I would say I would do more sporadically. And I think... What triggers me to do a planning session is whenever I feel a bit like I'm the water's rising and or else I may be in over my head. That's always mm-hmm. a signal to me that I need to get something planned out. Yep. And that makes me ask the question of my I've asked this of myself many times, like, is organization and planning work crastination that's kind of a term i've heard before Mm -hmm. where like i have so much to do and i'm not able to get to it and the deadline's coming up for this and the deadline already went past for that or whatever Mm -hmm. and so the thing that i feel like i really need to do is sit down for half a day or a whole day and plan all these things and actually not get anything done (laughs) do you ever do that well i don't know that i've ever done a whole day or even a half day Mm -hmm. but i do there, there's times at work that I might actually spend a couple hours. Now, this is normally at the quarterly or the monthly level. Uh, my weekly plan usually doesn't take that much time. Right, right. But yeah, I might take a, but I might take a couple hours, uh, just thinking about what I've accomplished, what went well, what didn't go well, and then okay, now we're this far along in these different projects. What needs to happen next to keep it moving forward, and maybe. Some of these projects actually aren't that important. I should put these off, just put them aside and try to focus on these others and do a better job there. But yeah, I, after a good planning session, I can go from feeling overwhelmed to feeling like, I mean, I still have a lot to do. It can still be a little overwhelming, but it's not 
I might be two feet under, not uh, 20 feet under <laughs> uh, the stack of stuff that I need to do. I have a much better idea of these are the key things that will move the needle forward in whatever projects I'm working on, whether personal or or professional. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I certainly understand that. And, yeah, there's times that I sometimes wonder whether I am putting off work by doing all this planning. And I think there's maybe times that that has happened, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say that that's the majority of the time. Yeah, I would I would say the same for me. And I, I it, having this conversation and even thinking about the conversation before, I realized I really have a lot of room to improve. And I think I need to do some more of, of that weekly or even daily planning that's, you know, a much shorter session with the things that I need to get done in the near, in the near future so that I don't have these uh, snowballs of overwhelm, Mm -hmm. which I don't think they're super often or haven't been recently, but I think they could be more avoidable than, than they have been. And some people in seem to enjoy that feeling of constant pressure, constant stress. You know, you hear about people saying they work better under, under stress, work better under a deadline I do not feel that way about me, <laughs> and I don't know if that's a difference in personality. I do enjoy having things planned out so that I'm not surprised by too many things, but uh, I'm not the most organized person in the world either. I did wonder, uh, in this whole conversation, like we're busy, we maybe can feel a bit swamped at times, so what is it that's motivating you motivating me to to take on more stuff i would say probably the main thing is i want to be useful mm-hmm. is probably a lot of it mm-hmm. uh, i only have a number of years on this earth my days are short and so i want to make as as best use of those days as i can mm. and that's part of it and and also i do i would say that i probably enjoy yeah, I enjoy organizing um, <laughs> and, and enjoy planning, as as pretty much anybody that listens to this can tell. And so I enjoy taking on some responsibility and, and seeing what I can do. Not that I'm the best person for the job necessarily, but especially if somebody asks me if I'm willing to do something, obviously they think that I can do it. And so I'm I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to help do as much as I can. I just want to fulfill my, my duties to the best of my ability. I feel the best way I can do that is by being organized and and knowing what I'm doing and trying to do the best that I can and not just winging it. I've the first couple of years that I taught school, that's kind of what I did. I basically just kind of winged it. Didn't really go that well. Mm, Um, mm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Actually looking back, it's, it's sometimes astonishing that I decided to keep teaching as long as I did, (laughs) but I I started, um, I started learning things. And I think that's actually part of the reason why, I changed so much from my early to mid-20s to now. Part of it was getting married, but I would say the change was happening even before then. Part of it was just the responsibility of of having these these young people that you're teaching. You want to do the best job that you can. That meant I had to spend more time in preparation. Yeah. So what was interesting is after I'd taught five or six years, you would think, well, I've taught five or six years, you probably don't spend nearly as much time 
planning and, and preparation uh, for class as you did when you were in, in your first and second year. Mm-hmm. And no, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. I would say I probably spent at least twice as much time yeah. <laughs> um, my fifth and sixth year as I did in my first and second year. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, my I, my thoughts are similar. I, I think I say yes because I just want to be helpful. I, I want... I want to feel as if I'm contributing some value. And I think a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, maybe men especially, I don't know, have this sense of wanting to contribute to to the world, mm-hmm. to others. And so taking on projects is a way that we feel like this is something that we're we're doing. We're making a difference. And so that's part of it. And the whole thing of redeeming the time, uh, the days are are evil. The days are short. Our time is running out, as it were. And I I sense that. I feel that. So I want to do a lot, or a lot. I want to do as much as I can, I suppose, mm-hmm. with the time that I have. And so that's why I try to take on more things, like this podcast, for example. Um, it has multiple benefits personally, uh, relationally with with you. Um, and even touching other people's lives. And that's, so that's why we do it is Mm -hmm. we could say no to this and maybe we will have to say no to it someday. I don't know, but (laughs) probably at some point (laughs) there is, (laughs) there is a reason behind it. And we feel like we, we can, we can help some people or touch some people's lives. And so it's, it's that, uh, wanting just to be kind to other people that pushes me Mm -hmm. and, the whole thing about organization, like why do I want to organize these things into spreadsheets or into notebooks or to whatever, is I'm realizing just in the last six months that my mind is not as sharp as it used to be. And I'm not 70 years old, but uh, this isn't, I'm not alone in recognizing that having had COVID really did something to the way my my memory works. Mm. And so it's much more difficult for me just to hold stuff in my brain, short-term memory. And so I need to figure out systems for dealing with my responsibilities, my projects, my Mm -hmm. commitments, because I want to be dependable and I I want to not make things difficult for other people. And so that involves good communication, like you were talking about, where you and your wife are on the same page or you and your coworkers are on the same page so that nothing is missed and that helps avoid misunderstandings and, and, and so on. Yeah. Back to the whole topic of why we're doing this podcast. I mean, I don't think either of us think that we both have it figured out. We have a lot to learn, but there's a few things that we've both learned and I think we're both just hoping that it'll, it'll make people think about, Mm -hmm. If they are overwhelmed, I mean, these are some things that have helped us and I feel has made me more effective at at being a father, being a husband, and being right. uh, a worker, uh, being an employee. Yeah, like you said, we just want to make the best use of the time that we have because it's so short. And I think especially just a couple weeks ago, I turned 35, so I'm now halfway to the three score years and 10. Um Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm scared about aging. I just, it's making me realize, you know what? It's not going to be, it's just going to be a couple decades. And right. it, it's not feeling like I have quite as much time 
is when I was in my <laughs> teens and early 20s. And so I just want to make the best use of the time that I have. Yeah, I, I guess the balance is doing as much good as you can without taking on so much that you don't end up overwhelming yourself and, and harming yourself and, and others you, uh, you're you working with or that you have relationships with. I mean, none of us want to to harm our families because we take on too much. That should about wrap it up for this time. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting the podcast and making it easier for us to keep doing this. We enjoy it, and we hope you do too. Like we mentioned before, we will be looking at another question regarding tithing. We received this email from a listener and found it. They have quite a few thoughts here, and we may not hit them all, but we're going to read off most of what they say and then add our thoughts. So Anonymous says, The topic of giving and tithing is one I have a lot of interest in. I appreciated your discussion, and I also have some additional thoughts for you to consider. You mentioned seasons of life and the varying abilities to give at different times, but I picked up the basic mindset that a tithe is what we typically expect to give, even if we can't always get there, and maybe once in a while, some people give more. As New Testament Christians, I think it would be good for us to have the mentality that a tithe is the minimum we want to give, and we expect to give offerings beyond that for much of our life. I realize that tithing isn't mandated in the New Testament like it was in the Old Testament, but in the changes Jesus made in the Sermon on the Mount, the new teaching went deeper and beyond the Old Testament requirements, and giving as God has prospered us will usually do the same. I recognize that there are times that giving 10% may truly be impossible, but if we operate on the assumption that 10% is adequate and normal, we will probably find many more times that it is, quote, impossible than what we will if we operate from the mentality that we want to give 15%, 20%, or 50%, or whatever, whenever we can. Currently, you can deduct up to 60% as an itemized deduction on your income taxes. Okay, so that's kind of the first point already a lot, a lot in the first point there. <laughs> yeah. James, do you have anything right off the bat? What, what do you say to, to Anonymous? Yeah, well, I can't. It's been a while since we talked about tithing, so I can't remember exactly what we said. <laughs> but I think we did talk about that the Old Testament, there was the 10%, but that the Israelites were actually expected to give more once you factor in all the other things that they were giving. Right, right. I think she's definitely right that 10% is pretty much the minimum. And I think we kind of mentioned that, but yeah, it's good to definitely emphasize that one thing I really liked about what she said was that it wasn't mandated in the New Testament, but that Jesus came to fulfill the law and in a lot of cases took it beyond what what was mandated in the Old Testament. So I thought that was a that was a good point to bring out that even though it's not mandated, there's a lot of principles in the Sermon on the Mount that would indicate that we should we should give, we should share what we have. Right. There's one place in Matthew 23 where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about how they had made extra rules or whatever and were making it more difficult for people to get into the kingdom of heaven, but they were not actually keeping some of God's uh, more important rules, Jesus said. It's interesting to me, in, in the King James Version, it says in verse 23 of Matthew 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted omitted the weightier matters of the law, 
judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Mm -hmm. And in King James Version fashion, there's a lot of uh, unclear pronoun reference there that uh, makes it a bit difficult for for us to understand what he's uh, saying exactly. But reading across it in a Spanish version recently, I found it interesting. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read that version here. It may not mean a lot to everyone, but I'll go ahead and share it. This is the Nueva Traducción Viviente. ¿Qué aflicción les espera, maestros de la ley religiosa y fariseos, hipócritas, pues se cuidan de dar el diezmo sobre el más mínimo ingreso de sus jardines de hierbas, pero pasan por alto los aspectos más importantes de la ley, la justicia, la misericordia y la fe. Es cierto que deben diezmar, pero sin descuidar las cosas más importantes. And what's interesting there is where he says, es cierto que deben diezmar. So in uh, the King James Version it says, these ought you to have done. But in Spanish it says, it is certain that you ought to tithe. That's the mm. the literal verb there. So I looked at it in in Strong's, looking at how the original language would have been, and it does seem to indicate that Jesus was saying, you should tithe, but you should also do judgment, mercy, and faith. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you, you could argue that it's not mandated, but I think taking... <laughs> this one verse, <laughs> maybe out of context. No, it's not really out of context, but taking this one verse, it does seem clear to me that Jesus said tithing is something that we ought to do, and not necessarily like he was giving uh, the Ten Commandments from the Mount per se, but mm-hmm. it's Jesus said it, so it's as good as a mandate in my mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would say so. And one thing that I thought about was in the previous question we answered, was it the last episode, where we had somebody that wondered if if just doing work for the church, teaching Sunday school, serving on committees, oh, if, right. that's, mm-hmm. if that's enough. And I think this verse here could possibly be, I don't know if this would quite qualify for that. Well, I guess that would be kind of the other way around, where mm. they say, we do this, we don't have to tithe, but then Jesus saying, you should tithe mm-hmm. and do the other things as well. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure how that all applies, but I think it definitely does somewhat. Mm-hmm. So I think the point that's that uh, Anonymous is trying to put to us here in this first point is that tithing is kind of a, a, a bare minimum and uh, thinking of tithing uh, in the sense of a 10% that, Giving to the Lord or the Lord's work 10% is the very least that we ought to give. And from there, we go up. And granted, Anonymous said there may be times where it's truly impossible. Most of us, I think, have not fallen into those times. But mm-hmm. there, there, is that, there is that caveat. Yeah. Okay. We have another part of the question here that I'll go ahead and read. And it's about... Uh, school teacher wages, which is something that is near and dear to both Sean and I's hearts, because <laughs> it's something we both had to uh, had to deal with. Yep. Another item you mentioned was school teacher wages and the difference in what is needed by those who are single and those who are raising families. 
I understand those differences, but there is another side of that difference that I think it is easy for, for married people to overlook. It is an angle that I don't have all the answers to, but it is one that the church needs to consider as well. And it applies more specifically to an older single teacher than to the young ones who are simply teaching for a few years before marriage. And some parts of it apply to single or childless people in other vocations as well. The person who marries and has children does have a lot of expenses involved in raising his family, but he is also providing some of the insurance for his old age in the process. I realize that God may call children to may call children to serve him on the other side of the globe, or he may call them home at an early age. But typically in our Christian families, children and grandchildren feel responsibility toward their parents and grandparents to help them with things they become unable to do in their older years, or to provide a home for them if needed. The single person who grows older does not have that automatic support system. If the single person has worked many years for lower wages than his married peers, or has given a large percentage of his income to support the church's programs, will the children from those families feel any special responsibility to help that single person in his older years? Likely not. And then I'll kind of condense the last little bit here. That single person will need to hire the help he needs for some projects that children and grandchildren would likely help their parents with. If he becomes unable to live alone, he will need to pay for someone to care for him or become dependent on the government via Medicaid, etc. And then... So, is a single person greedy if he saves more for his old age than parents of families do? Is he laying up treasures on earth if he does that? The stages of life are rather defined for parents of a family, but what are these stages for the single, and what are his responsibilities, as well as the church's responsibility to him through those stages? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, there's a good bit there. So, Sean, you kind of threw the first question at me, so I'm going to throw this one at you. What thoughts do you have on on some of these some of these things, maybe a little bit of pushback we're getting from Anonymous. Yeah. Well, I wish we had a single person here with us that maybe maybe is single and older and uh, could tell us from experience what, what it's been like for them. I was privileged to work with a number of single folks who uh, were not in their 20s anymore over the years and learn some from them where it, it is true that the the they have expenses that well it just falls to one person but i suppose in a marriage you know you could say if you have one single breadwinner the dad then um he's also covering the expenses of a wife and children and so on but mm-hmm. um, it's a valid point that that if you raise your children to where they to where they love you and the bible does give some instruction that children are supposed to care for their uh, aged parents then you you probably won't be left destitute that's not a guarantee but i think i think anonymous is is accurate here gary miller in kingdom focus finances talks about this point the very last paragraph that you that you were uh reading over about is the single person greedy and how much should a single person plan or set aside Mm -hmm. there i think are at least two schools of thought probably more but one is this uh idea that that we don't lay up treasures on earth which is a command of jesus and that is applied or interpreted as don't have a don't have a savings account 
in other words, don't have, don't have cash flow. So you're just living essentially from, from paycheck to paycheck. The, the other view is don't lay up treasures means, uh, don't try to make yourself wealthy or luxurious or pampered life, but instead try to plan for the inevitabilities of life and, uh, mm-hmm. bear your own burdens and know that you're going to uh, get old and you might need medication or you might need a wheelchair ramp added to your house or you might need this or that. And so you set aside for some of those costs that you know are going to come up. So in in his book, I think Gary Miller, I don't have it right in front of me now, but I had recently read through it again. I think he he says we need to be careful not to to cast judgment based because you have to take the scripture as a whole and the new Testament as a whole. And there are some verses that say we need to have wisdom and we need to plan and we need to prepare. And some churches were criticized by Paul, for example, for just sitting around and not working because they were just waiting for the Lord to come. And he said, you know, get up and and make money and take care of yourself and uh, take care of your families. Because if you don't, you're worse than an infidel. And then you have others, other scriptures that indicate not to save up. And so there's a tension there that is not exactly black and white, maybe. What would you say to that? Yeah, I think there is a likelihood that that an unmarried person will have to, or even an un, uh, a couple that's childless, they don't have that, like Anonymous said, this automatic support system, which a lot of us you know, kind of rely on. So that is true. They probably will need some more resources later in life and maybe need to put away a bit more. So you could say if you pay uh, a childless couple or, you know, the husband, if you pay, if you pay him the same amount as you would pay a married man, then the money that he would, that a married man would put into his family, all the expenses there, uh, the childless couple can put into a savings account or investments. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. To, to kind of provide for themselves later on. But one thing that stuck out to me, it, it was kind of sprinkled throughout some of the different questions, but the last little bit here said, what are his responsibilities as well as the church's responsibility to him through those stages? Right. I kind of wonder if, like, I think that there's definitely, yes, Paul said we're supposed to provide for ourselves, provide for our families, but does that mean we have to kind of pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps we won't take any charity. We won't let anybody else take care of us. To me, it feels like some of those needs that come later, if it was a like unmarried man, unmarried woman who has no children, who gave of their time and money throughout their entire life to the church, they'll have children <laughs> that will be more than happy to, to take care of them in some ways, I would say. You're, you're saying children like... Spiritual children. That's right. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's an interesting point because it makes you think about what Paul said when other people, uh, oh, I can't pull up the scripture right now, but he, he talks about how he had no one to care for him except the one church, and it's escaping me escaping me which one it was. Was it the Philippians? I'm not sure. And mm-hmm. even when no one else cared for him, they sent gifts to him from from some distance. And so I, that 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 resonates as a possibility 
yeah, I'm just going to throw it back at you to see if I heard you right. So if, if I, as a single fellow am investing in the lives of, of many other, uh, say young men, for example, and those young men go on to, uh, develop families or businesses or whatever, and we maintain a connection of mentorship or whatever, perhaps they'll feel some amount of of love or responsibility and want to care for me later on. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. And it's not, I would say that it probably would be the church's responsibility. So there was one thing that I didn't read, and that is that oftentimes Brotherhood A doesn't really cover like long-term care, you know, it, it covers emergency care. If I break my leg or whatever and have to go to the hospital, Brotherhood Aid can help take care of that bill. But it's not, doesn't always cover long-term care. But my question is, should it? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Should we, just because somebody doesn't have children to take care of them, if they have poured their lives into the church in a different way, right? why shouldn't the church take care of these childless couples or or unmarried men and women it it feels like maybe they should maybe maybe we have there's a spirit that you oftentimes run into where if you're not taking care of yourself then you're then you're failing and uh-huh. if somebody isn't taking care of themselves or isn't able to take care of themselves well they made bad choices right they're just going to have to deal with it they've made their bed so they have to lie in it now yeah, that sort of thing. But it's it's some things we talked about in our community episode. That's what church community is for, is to take care of each other. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, should these people that do not have children to, to, to pay for, the, the, they don't have those extra expenses, should they give their money to the church? You know, have reasonable savings, but they don't have to save up millions of dollars. Should they do that, invest in the church now, and then the church can take care of them later? Yeah. Or should they save up a bunch of money? They have this gigantic wad of money. They live off that until they they pass, and then whatever's left goes to the church. Yeah. Um, that That's two different ways to do it, which is best. I'm not necessarily saying one is better than the other, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of wonder if, do we need to take care of ourselves completely? Do we need to have big bank accounts to cover everything we're going to face in retirement and end of life. Yeah. I'm not sure. Right. If we do, I think they say you're supposed to be starting already that fund like in your twenties or something. And so I guess, (laughs) I guess I'm in a bad way for my retirement. If that's the case, (laughs) It, it probably feels, I'm trying to imagine how, some of our our single friends might feel and i can imagine that it would feel like a bit of a a large risk mm-hmm. to count on on the church to care for them when they're older because i'm thinking of a good friend of mine that i worked with some time back who uh wanted or yeah would have would have been glad to have to lead a married life and they were older with gray hair and uh, that had not happened. And they mentioned to me that they felt um, most of their life that they had been somewhat invisible mm-hmm. to to the community and to and uh, even to their local church. So it was uh, a, a lady, an older lady, she was a very lovely person, and I think 
anyone who knows her would agree. But if if a person grows up or leads a life feeling somewhat, um, somewhat invisible or somewhat on the fringes, in a sense, in in their in their vital or what's the word years mm-hmm. virile years, yeah, <laughs> then it, it would be hard for that person, I think, to trust that when they're old that they won't just keep on being forgotten or overlooked or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so that could be a little bit scary, but then I guess it comes back to uh, trusting the Lord for some of those things too. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. That is true. Bringing a little bit of reality into my pie in the sky dreams. (laughs) (laughs) I was speaking more of just raising the question and, you know, maybe this is maybe the church taking care of people being willing to sacrifice and take care of people, that's the ideal. I think we would probably both agree. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. But but whether whether that would actually happen is another thing. And this could be another whole episode, is the, is the whole thing of, of brotherhood and how do you get those relationships where, where the brothers and sisters in the church are willing to sacrifice to take care of the older folks. Sure. And I'll be the first to admit it's much easier to to say that's the right thing to do than it is to actually do it. I've I haven't had to haven't had to sacrifice to take care of older parents or or friends or older people in the church. Uh-huh. Yeah, all these questions are really good because I mean, I don't think that anonymous really disagreed with us about anything we said. It was more kind of some gaps and right right and just some just some things that they've maybe been thinking about that because of where we are in life we hadn't really thought about so i i really was was glad that they sent in this this question yeah it's a very it's a very necessary thing and i really sympathize for uh for older single people because well just like our our whole linguistic system is set up for right-handed people and lefties have to figure out how to make their way through English. Mm-hmm. It's it's much more so that our society and and the world at large is set up for for married people and and I don't think necessarily that's a a bad thing because you know that's somewhat the way humanity as a race is set up in order to to keep on keeping on. But there is this element of us as a people that is easy to overlook because of that. And I can't even, I can't, I can't look through their eyes cause I haven't lived their experiences, but I do think that we as a church, well, I know that we as a church hold a responsibility to each of our brothers and sisters, whatever their lot may be. Some people argue that Paul was single or wasn't single. I tend to think that, uh, that he was was single all his life. I know that's debatable, but there are some indications that that may be the case. And he lived a difficult life, but he was cared for by by the church. Um, but perhaps more like what you were saying, James, that he was cared for by those he invested time into. I would like to ask uh, our listeners if there are some of you out there who have some experience in this issue, either because that's your reality that you're living or someone in your family or church is living it, and you have some practical uh, ways for how you're figuring out the situation, I would like to know about it because it's something I feel like I need to learn. And There was one thing I do want to add a bit of a caveat to what I said. 
And that is, as far as if you invest in the church and devote time to, to other people, that then they can help you. I think that's true. But I think even if even if there's a single person in the church that, for whatever reason, didn't really invest that much in young people, right. they just kind of did their thing. That doesn't mean we <laughs> we should not take care of them, right? Yeah, for sure. And because we don't necessarily want unmarried people to be thinking, "Oh, well, if I want to be taken care of in my <laughs> old age, I'd better put in a bunch of time with these young people." <laughs> yeah, so they like me. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah, I, I can think of different people in my life who are single friends of mine who are are serving the Lord faithfully in in their corner of the world, but it's a very perhaps a very small or narrow because they're taking care of their aged parents because oftentimes uh, the the older parents that do get taken care of, it's easier to give them to the single brother or the single sister because you know they don't have children so they can just take care of of aging mom and dad and then, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they they may not have time or resources to devote, like you said, to investing in a lot of other lives, but they're being faithful to to God, faithful to the church in mm-hmm. in their responsibilities, and I think they should not feel any shame in that or feel small about that, but should uh, take joy in in doing what God's called them to do. Yeah, I feel I spent. Most of my life single. <laughs> I'm not sure, Sean. Have you spent most of your life single, or have you been married most of your life? Okay, let me see. Um, <laughs> no, most of my life was single still. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Okay. But, but there, there is a lot that there's a unique role that I believe unmarried people and childless couples can play in the church, and it's not necessarily that I think that it's necessarily God's will that they be single their entire life or that they have no children. I mean, it could be, but because they don't have those responsibilities of raising a family, they can put their time and their energy into other things that the church needs. Mm-hmm. And even Paul said, even even spoke about that in 1 Corinthians, mm-hmm. I think, is it chapter 7 maybe? talked about being married and unmarried and how that there are advantages to being unmarried because when you're married, you have to, and you could also say when you have children, you have to devote yourself to these other people and you can't spend as much time serving, serving God, serving your, your fellow uh, believers. So there's, there's a very important role that I feel that, that unmarried people can serve. Right. I agree with that. Well, I I am thankful for this feedback. It was it was good for me. It was stretching for my mind. I had somewhat considered some of these thoughts in kind of a vague way before, but this was this was really good for me. So I appreciate I appreciate receiving it. Don't forget to share the podcast with a friend. We enjoy discussing questions like the one anonymous sent. So if you have a thought or a question, send us an email at lookingoverlife at gmail.com. All right. See you later. Ciao.